0: Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we spoke with the director of the Women's Heart Center at Deborah Heart and Lung Center, Dr. Renee Bullock-Palmer, about women's cardiovascular health and ways to improve your heart health. This month, KYW's Rasa K talks with Deborah Heart and Lung Center's Chair of Cardiology, Dr. Vincent Pompili, about the ways COVID-19 directly and indirectly injures the heart muscle, the long-term effects, vaccines, and other ways we can strengthen our defenses against even an endemic form of the novel coronavirus as we head into life in a post-pandemic new normal. Here's Rasa Kay.
1: I'm Rasa Kay, and I'm talking with Dr. Vincent Pompelli. He's an interventional cardiologist, also chair of the Department of Cardiology at Deborah Heart and Lung Center. And we are going to uh, take a look at COVID-19's long-term effects and what we know at this point, the information is being added to and added to all the time. But can you tell us some of the long-term symptoms that patients are experiencing from COVID-19 as we understand it?
2: Sure, Ross. I, I think you're spot on that the learning and the evolution of symptoms and long-term sequelae from COVID are continuing to unfold every day. What we do know is a, a couple of things. Um, early on, the, the, the typical COVID symptoms, as we all have reviewed and kind of talked about, including primary symptoms of, of fatigue, fever, muscle aches, loss of energy, shortness of breath, are kind of the common ones that you see loss of taste and smell. The long Longer-term effects, the long-term sequelae are are interesting because we always think of COVID just being as a lung infection, but really it is a systemic infection that affects all parts of our bodies. We have found people that have long-term chronic fatigue syndrome after having COVID. We have found individuals that have had um, long-term symptoms of shortness of breath, lack of energy. Uh, Interestingly also, there's a very small subset of patients who that loss of taste and smell persists for a very long period of time thereafter, including times where individuals have complained that they have not only a loss of a taste and smell, but actually foul taste to food and odor. That they, they describe it almost when they eat or drink, it's like drinking um, sewage or something like that. So it, there are some symptoms like that that go on for a long period of time
1: okay so when we talk about long term because you know you get a viral infection um or a sinus infection or some bronchitis or something you can have a cough for oh it seems like weeks and sometimes Mm -hmm. it is weeks Mm -hmm. so okay so that seems like long term when you're talking about long-term sequelae after COVID 19. What is that time frame?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. If this was like another virus that we've known for many, many years, we could describe that. But recall, most COVID infection we're only on the one-year anniversary. It's still un- unknown, and we're studying all those things. But, you know, people have had up six months, eight months of symptoms of shortness of breath and fatigue. Uh, one of the ones that, as a cardiologist, we may talk about that's a concern of the long-term effect is that on the heart. We know that if looking at cardiac MRI in patients and athletes specifically, um, this is early on in the spring and summer, all athletes, football players so from college sports were, had cardiac MRI performed uh, during their COVID infection. And one third of those patients, those athletes actually had evidence on their cardiac MRI of COVID infection or inflammation of the heart. That worries us as cardiologists. Uh, Is that an unknown that will lead to scar formation or weakness of the heart long-term, ventricular abnormal heart rhythms that may go on? Uh, Lots of unknowns. And so I think that when you ask that question, the answer is there still remains a lot that is unknown.
1: So certainly any viral infection can impact the heart. How does a coronavirus, not necessarily this novel coronavirus, potentially impact your
2: heart? Yes, so it, it impacts the heart and in, 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 by causing inflammation in the heart. Actually, white blood cells will migrate to the heart and cause inflammation and then can potentially cause muscle necrosis, death of heart muscle and then weakness of the heart muscle and leading to scar where that muscle necrosis or dies. Uh, you're right, uh, a number of viruses, including the common cold virus, the adenovirus, or Coxsackie virus, are very common, affect you know individuals and slightly affect the heart. We don't know why some people have a horrible effect because of that viral infection, and others just um, kind of pass it on and go well with um, no further long-term symptoms. And that's probably the truth with the COVID or coronavirus also. We don't know what specifically is going to trigger one individual with that infection in the heart to have a long-term effect and another not to have anything at all.
1: Okay, before we get back to COVID then, there's other things that can surprisingly lead to inflammation in the heart. I mean, even at the dentist, you know, they talk about how, how you have to floss. Yes. What is that about? How does flossing affect your heart health?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So what we've learned, these are old studies. It's inflammation leading to atherosclerosis. So there are two different types of bad effects that inflammation have on the heart. One is in the heart muscle. That's a myocarditis. That's the term for that. And the other is actually atherosclerosis or blockages in arteries in the heart. And when we learn and study the the etiology and sort of the progression of atherosclerosis blockage in the heart it usually starts with inflammation in the artery itself and you ask how is it linked to your flossing your teeth the bacteria which are prevalent in individuals who don't floss and sort of have evidence of uh, excessive colonization of bad bacteria in their mouth that bacteria cross-reacts with the blood cells that line the heart arteries and then will cause an inflammatory response All right, there so you go
1: uh, you know, it's it's all the interconnections from, from bacteria now back to, to virus. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, doctors have warned individuals with underlying heart conditions to take extra precautions against infection, all of these things that we've just mm-hmm. touched on. But as early as last spring, very early in the pandemic, JAMA Cardiology published a review that indicated even among people with no heart problems that mm-hmm. we knew about. COVID-19 can cause heart damage that can be fatal. That review, I mean, they were looking at other coronavirus like SARS and and MERS. So walk us through how a virus that is primarily respiratory Mm -hmm. can affect your heart.
2: A number of ways. That's a great question. And and it's been a a learning path across this year. And we've had to stay on top of it as we take care of of these patients. There are a couple of different areas. The one area we talked about was myocarditis. So it does not just affect the lungs, it can actually affect the heart muscle and cause a, a, a slow and indolent degradation of those heart muscles leading to a cardiomyopathy. Another one that is much more acute or sudden that happens uh, relates to thrombosis or blood clot in the artery and heart attack. As uh, we have learned early on, individuals in the, the phase of the acute COVID virus infection are more prone towards both arterial and venous thrombosis, blood clot formation. Uh, the virus has effects on your platelets, which, are, as you know, are the, the, the blood Elements which stimulate blood clotting normally and for healthy reasons, but they make them hyperactive and actually cause hypercoagulable states. So there are individuals that have had full out heart attacks because the COVID virus is stimulated, they don't have blockage, but stimulate blood clot in the arteries. So we've seen COVID heart attacks and we've seen COVID myocarditis or inflammation. Those are the two big anchor effects that it has had on the heart thus far.
1: And when you have that myocarditis, what can that then lead to in terms of other circulatory problems?
2: Firstly, the, the best scenario is nothing, you know, where it, it, it resolves, your body heals up, and there's no scar tissue. The worst scenario is severe myocarditis, where the heart muscle just weakens so severely that you have developed severe congestive heart failure or cardiogenic shock, where your heart pump no longer works and you, um, you may not survive unless you are evaluated for some type of support system like a ventricular assist device or ECMO, which actually perfuses the heart.
1: Now, and I've done a lot of interviews with the good folks here at Deborah, and by the time you need those kinds of interventions, it can take years. How fast can this happen with COVID?
2: Oh, it, it can. It could be within days. There are people that have severe COVID myocarditis that come in in cardiogenic shock. So it's not necessarily a slow or indolent process. Just like other viruses, we have other virus myocarditis that you know uh, someone could come in and have very severe early symptoms and cardiogenic shock from. Yes.
1: What other situations can cause cardiogenic shock? Uh,
2: Massive heart attacks where the heart muscle is severely weakened from a massive heart attack. You come in and your heart... Pump is not functioning normally, and we refer to shock. We mean that uh, your the rest, not only is your heart not working, but then your body, your heart is not perfusing your organs. Your kidneys begin to fail. Your liver begins to fail. You begin to develop, you know, severe low blood pressure or hypotension, and your lungs fill up with fluid and congestive heart failure. So it's a, it's, it's a pretty severe condition.
1: Have you seen any kind of pattern to how these things develop in COVID? Or have these impacts and their effects been completely random? I mean, yeah. is, is, every, yeah. is, is there any way that, you know, a patient that starts developing certain, some myocarditis that you can say, okay, we're going to watch for this and then next this and then next this? Or, or is it just scribble?
2: Unfortunately, it's just scribble, but the fortunate side is it's still relatively rare. So although we're talking about this, I don't want to heighten, I mean, most individuals, 99% of them would not develop this type of a sequelae from COVID infection. So it's awfully rare, but when it does happen, it's very dramatic.
1: Okay, so the more common longer lasting impacts than sequelae.
2: Yeah. Uh, fatigue is probably the... If you were asked and look at the surveys across the board, individuals for weeks to months after their infection have pronounced fatigue. The second one is muscle ache. Uh, you see a lot of people that have persistent muscle ache after these effects. And then the third is some level of shortness of breath. And that usually occurs in individuals who actually develop COVID pneumonia. COVID infection it has a variety of levels of severity, as we know. Those who develop COVID pneumonia have a a greater chance of having persistent requirement for oxygen for weeks to months after their infection is completed. And others, I've had patients up to six months afterwards. Remember, when you talk about the sequelae or the long-term effects of COVID, it it depends on how severe the the acute incidence is and, and the effects. So we have a number, and in, we have our, our clinic here, which I think you're going to talk to some of our folks about soon. These are COVID survivors of intensive care level care. Th- that, that's a whole nother situation. These people have been in the ICU. They've, they've been on a ventilator. They may have a tracheostomy. They may have had interim dialysis. So they're recovering from a severe chronic uh, insult to their body. Um, it may take you know uh, six months to a year for them to come back to some normalcy. If, if not at all,
1: and and certainly the intervention is part of the insult. I mean, yes, it is dramatic. yes,
2: yes. On a ventilator with a trach, on dialysis, on blood pressure medications to raise their blood pressure, on nutrition failure, all those things kind of, yeah. It's 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 a it's a pretty severe insult to your body, and takes it will take many months to recover from.
1: Well, and so there, there's been, unfortunately, too much of a debate in this country about, oh, it's not a big deal. It's like a cold. You know, so you get sick, you'll recover, you'll be fine. Most people recover. The other side of that is, do you want to risk being one of the really unlucky ones who, for no reason we yet understand has these long-term effects that they have to cope with and that we're still trying to figure out how to how to improve.
2: Correct, and that, that, that's sort of one of my personal annoyances that people say things like that. Oh, it, you know, most of us will be fine. And thank goodness that, that that is true. But two things, we don't know. Yes, we know those with higher risk factors, age, those with hypertension, diabetes, all those symptoms, you know, comorbidities as we call them would worsen your risk of having that but there are still those as we all know uh, young individuals that pull the unlucky straw and develop this severe covid infection severe pneumonia and and those effects so it's not something that you, know, if you want to play roulette with that i'm not sure and the second piece of that is that um we still even those who recover so well as we we still don't know this is a, we're only a year into this disease long-term sequelae we don't know that yeah it, it, I, we're all hopeful that it's like other viruses and things pass through but we, just the answer is we don't know that. So you don't want to get COVID infection or think, oh, let me get it over with for that sake. And you hear that narrative from time to time. The
1: from, herd immunity argument earlier.
2: Yeah, no, no, yeah. I don't want to, let's do that via vaccination. You can't select or know which is the 1% to 2% individuals who would die from this virus. The best way to do it is to do a herd immunization and therefore cause that reduction in mortality as a secondary effect of it, quite honestly. So so young old you know risk factor not uh, our best pathway to normalcy uh, if it's 6 months to a year will be herd vaccination
1: I'm Raza Kay, and we have more discussion on the way with Dr. Vincent Pompili, chair of the Department of Cardiology at Deborah Heart and Lung Center, including what we've learned about cytokine storms, effective interventions, vaccines, and what still surprises him on this COVID journey. The Deborah Health Report podcast drops the first Wednesday of the month.
0: You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at
2: DemandDebora.org.